The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com Psalm 119, verses 101 to 104. Psalm 119, verses 101 to 104. That's where we're going to be looking at today. Uh, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, there was a likely, they say likely, clerical error that actually sent a supply clerk to go out with the 82nd Airborne Division. <laughs> so a clerical error sent this clerk to go, <laughs> to go out with the 82nd Airborne Division. He went out the door of, our, of an airplane on his first parachute jump without any training. <laughs> He's a clerk. And he got orders to go out with the, uh, the uh, Airborne Division. Um, Army Specialist Jeff Lewis, who was 23 years old when this happened, he landed unhurt, and all he said was, I was just doing what a good soldier is supposed to do when he made the jump. And I thought this was interesting. The only thing that he had to say was, you know what? I just followed orders. Hmm. I just followed orders. The Army said I was airborne qualified. So I wasn't going to question it. Wow. Following orders and not questioning the orders. We sing it, family. We declare it. We pray for it. We desire to be obedient. We say, Lord, I want to be obedient to your words. But do we realize that the key to true obedience and true obedience to God is actually right in the palm of our hands? It's called the scriptures. It's called the Bible. It is our light. The Bible is our guide. But over the years, as we've been talking about during this whole series, over the years, the statistics show that confidence in the Bible, confidence in scripture is at an all-time low, even amongst people who go to church. Moreover, statistics are showing that the church has now become one of the greatest enemies to the word of God in recent years. More and more downplay continues to happen even from the pulpits, whether explicitly or implicitly or just simply by our behavior. We allow the culture to shape our understanding instead of the Bible. I know this one is a really hard one. I know we got to really think about this because uh, in the statistics, George Barna says, no wonder Christians are not acting like Christ anymore. They don't know how. They don't know how because some <laughs> don't even know that we should. Like I said, Bible reading is at an all-time low. So how are we supposed to be imitators of Christ if we don't even know what Christ said or we don't even know what Christ has done? And yet it remains. Jesus declared that if we are truly his disciples, so remember, that's a key word there. When Jesus says, you are truly my disciples, that that's implying what? That there are people that are out there that say that they are disciples of Christ, but they're not. But he said, if you are truly my disciple, you will abide in my word. So if we are truly the disciples of Christ, 
we will abide in his word that we don't even know. Hmm. Ignorance of the scriptures is a sign that we are enemies, not friends with God. Right? Because when, when Jesus would approach his enemies, he would say, you know not the scriptures nor the power of God. The enemies of Christ are those that don't know the scriptures. The foundation of all that there is in life must be built on the foundations of good psychological principles. <laughs> As a Christian, our houses that we build, build are built on the word of God. If we don't do this, when the storms of life come, it'll all come down with a great crash. We are to love our God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our pocketbooks, with all of our strength. No, we're supposed to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our time on social media, with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, and with all of our strength. A mind that's ignorant of God's very word is not loving to our Lord. When we live our lives trying to be like Christ, why is it that engagement and winning debates, why are those things not one of those things? We want to be like Christ. What would Jesus do? Here we're having a conversation with a professor at a university, and we, we don't ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? Well, a lot of us would say, well, I think that Jesus would just walk away. What did Jesus do when there were those that came to engage him? He engaged. You know what else Jesus did? He won. Christians, we're supposed to win these debates. We have everything that we need to win the debate. This is what Jesus did. And we can do this if we know the scriptures. Do you realize that if you know the scriptures, you can win an argument with the devil? Whoa. When Jesus engaged with the devil, all he did was quote what? Scripture? Now, if the scriptures can defeat the devil, family, we're supposed to engage with our culture. We're supposed to engage with the world and we're supposed to win. That's what Jesus did. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you with gentleness and with respect. You can't do that if you don't know the scriptures. Do you know that we are supposed to tear down? We are supposed to tear down lofty arguments that raise itself against the knowledge of Christ. How can we do that if we don't know the scriptures? One, one uh, prominent theologian, he says it this way. When we engage with unbelievers, we are supposed to shut their mouths and the Holy Spirit will change their heart. I love that. 
We're supposed to win. We're supposed to be able to stop. We're supposed to be able to tear down the lofty arguments that the world gives. Now, we had a long sermon last week. I showed you how simple this is. I showed you practically how this is. If you know your Bible, how you can win every single engagement and every single quote-unquote argument that you are faced with when it comes to the world, if you know the scriptures. We know this because if you do not believe and you say that there is no God or God does not care, and if that's how you're living your life, then the Bible tells us what? That these people are ignorant, their minds are in darkness, and they just don't know. Now, was God wrong? Was God wrong when he said that? See, I don't think he was wrong. So when we engage that, that's what I believe. Without God, you know, hey, Shane, what's, what, you know, you need to prove God to me. And what, what do I say all the time? The best proof for the existence of God is this. Without God, you can't prove anything. Nothing. Everything that you say without God is just your opinion. And if one other person in the world has a different opinion than yours, guess what happens? The two of you guys cancel each other out. Right? One plus minus one equals zero. Whoa. We're to contend for the faith. The question is, can we? And now what we're seeing in our world is that there's many paths that we can take in this world. And Shane, you know, you, what you don't understand, Shane, is that there are many, many paths to God. You know, we can get to God through many, many different ways, many, many different avenues. And some of us will be like, well, yeah, I guess that kind of makes sense. Yeah, I guess that kind of does that. You know, we're supposed to quote unquote coexist. We're supposed to, you know, be tolerant of all this and blah, blah, blah and all that. And hey, you know what? Yeah, that sounds good to me. But if we knew the scriptures, what would our response be? Hey, Shane, there's many ways to God. What does the scriptures tell us? There's one way to God. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There are many paths, people say, especially when it comes to the realm of desire and emotion. But these paths may lead us to destruction. These ways may lead us to do what is not in our own best interests. Lots of these things may make us do what is forbidden by the living God. Lots of these things may make us walk in ways that are forbidden by the almighty God. But is this arbitrary? Is it just whatever you think? Hey, is this whatever Shane declares? No, it is outlined in the scriptures, in the Bible. The will of God is shown to us in the word of God. The regulation of God is in the word of God. 
The prohibitions of God is in the Word of God. We know because it's shown to us in the Word of God. And our psalmist makes this very clear in our passage today. So let's take a look. Psalm 119, verses 101 to 104. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for you have taught me well how sweet your words taste to me. They are sweeter than honey. Your commandments give me understanding. No wonder I hate every false way of life. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that you will show us that your word is a lamp unto our feet, that we don't lean on our own understanding, but we follow you in everything we do. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. So if you're taking notes, the first thing we're gonna look at today is the reality of how the Bible will keep us on the right path. And the second thing we'll see is how the gospel is the power of God for salvation. So uh, the thesis statement is this. Uh, the, the thesis statement is me trying to summarize the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world causes us to look, or to look to the wisdom and allure of the world instead of the Bible, it's the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of the scriptures that will cause us to see that it is truly the lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path by the power of of the gospel of Jesus. So point number one, my walk and my do. The Bible teaches us to walk this way and the Bible teaches us to do the right thing. No 90s people here today, I guess, huh? That's the first thing. I wrote that out, not even thinking about it. I like literally wrote that sentence out and I go, wait a minute, isn't walk this way a song? And then I was, and do the right thing. I was like, isn't do the right thing a song? And the whole weekend, this whole weekend, I've been going, do the right thing. So anyway, um, the Bible teaches us to walk in a certain way and the Bible teaches us how we can do the right thing, Right? Because how are we supposed to walk in the right way if we don't know what the right way is? How are we supposed to do the right things if we don't know what the right things are? Our psalmist starts off with a declaration that he will walk in a certain way that does not result in evil things. To make it simple, he's saying, I will not follow every evil way that's presented before me. He will not walk on an evil path, but some may ask, what is an evil path? This is where the Bible comes in. The Bible tells us what is an evil path. It gives us guide points. It gives us guide posts. It gives us markers. It gives us the boundaries. It keeps us on the right path. It keeps us on the right road if we will allow ourselves to know what the Bible's telling us. And, an important, and, and this is important for us to understand that it's the word of God that is to be our guide and not the ideologies and the ways of the world. It's not the ideologies and the moral structure that's given, us, given to us by the things that we see on TV. The talk show hosts that we see in the morning. I know a lot of you guys are just like, hey, you know what, I, I, I like the way Kelly Clarkson sings. 
fine. But we don't follow the directives that we get from the guests. <laughs> things that we see on the news, things that, say, and things that we see on social media. I mean, it's amazing how much morality is on TikTok these days. We follow the, the, the morality structure that's given to us by content or, you know, uh, content creators. Is that the morality that we follow? Or is it that we follow the morality and the guide that we get from the scriptures? We don't follow the ideologies, the philosophies, the things of the world, no matter how right they might seem. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a path before each person that seems right. But in the end, it ends in death. Wow. This is a huge one. It's very important for us in our culture today. There is a path that's before each person. Every mo to, uh, Monday morning, tomorrow morning, you'll wake up and there's going to be paths that are going to be before you. Now, there's going to be paths that are going to seem right. That's the important thing that we've got to understand. We don't take wrong paths if we know they're the wrong path. Right? I mean, here you, here you have a path that's illuminated. It's lighting up. There's uh, angels floating, playing the harp. Your Oreo cookies all around. Chocolate milk right under it. You got bunnies jumping. <laughs> you got squirrels coming up talking to you in English. And then you have another path over here. There's no light. You know, there's no Oreo cookies here. There's celery, carrots, you know, vitamins. Uh, you know, and they're playing country music. No, I'm sorry, just kidding. <laughs> sorry, Connie. And you're looking at this path going, okay, this is definitely not the right path. This one for sure is. This one's, this one's the path. Now, that's what the paths look like. Now, of course, there's a lot of exaggeration in what I'm saying. But the path that leads to destruction is going to look right. Now, Shane, if the path that leads to destruction is there before me and it looks like a really good path, how in the world am I supposed to know that it's going to lead to destruction? Good question with a super easy answer. The Bible tells us Oh, yeah, the Bible tells us so many ways, so many different things that it, that it says. It deals with a lot more than we might think. It's there, right there before our eyes, and we know. Now, wait a minute. According to the Bible, the country music path is the path I'm supposed to take. But it doesn't look right. We lean not on our own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. 
We follow scripture no matter what. We get this from the world. But like I said, the world will present a road that does not look disagreeable. It looks wonderful. That's the deception. It looks good. It seems right. It seems great. That's why we're deceived by it, and that's why people get on these paths. Well, you knew this path wasn't a good path. The Bible said this wasn't a good path. I know, but it looked really good. It looked like the path I was supposed to take. I just couldn't help it. But here's the thing. After we identify it, you gotta abhor it. What does that mean? You gotta hate it. Oh, and the Bible makes that super clear. In Amos chapter 5, verse 15, Amos 5, 15, hate evil. Oh, you're Christians. You're not supposed to hate. No, the Bible is telling us hate evil and love what is good. Turn your courts into true halls of justice. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Thomas Manton, the great uh, Puritan uh, commentator, he writes this. These places compared together will show that the outward act is not only to be regarded, but the frame of the heart. There should not only be an abstinence from the act of sin, but mortifying or killing the love of it. For there are many that outwardly forbear sin, but yet do not inwardly hate it. We gotta hate it. We gotta. When we see this path, this looks like a good path, and it, uh, wow, this, this path is, you know, there's a lot in here that I like. All the stuff in here that I like. But we know that this is an evil path. We gotta hate it. If we don't hate it, we're going to walk it. That's the point. That's the reality of it. We have to hate it if we're not going to walk into it. The things that, that we love, it's just like, yep, this path is evil. Yep, this path is going to destroy my life. This path is going to destroy my family. This path is going to destroy everything about me and it's going to destroy every single thing about every person that I love in my life. Oh, but I love it. Oh, I love it. Well, you know what happens when we, when we love it and we embrace it? There's always those moments where we just don't care. You know what I'm saying? That's what happens as Christians. We get to those moments where we just don't care anymore. It's like, yeah, I know this is bad, but you know what? I don't care. When people around me that I'm trying to, trying to protect... They're all mean to me. What am I protecting them for anyway? You know, my family members, I'm supposed to love them, but they don't love me. You know, Thanksgiving came and they didn't invite me. What, what am I protecting them for? What am I protecting? Well, you know, you, know well, you need to do this, you know, because you want to be obedient to God. Yeah, well, what has God done for me lately? God hasn't done for anything. You know what? I don't care. And what happens? We walk the path. We gotta hate it. 
That's got to be a reality within us. We've got to hate the path because when there are moments of weaknesses, we will walk it. But in essence, this is the difficulty. We do not hate evil ways. We don't abhor it. So we come close to it. We try to tolerate it. We don't want to be canceled by the culture, so we don't speak against it. We just ignore it. We think it's neutral. We think we can be neutral in this world, and that's the biggest lie. Family, people are telling you that that is a lie. You cannot be neutral in this world. Jesus made that very clear. You cannot be. You are either for me or you're neutral to me. No, what does Jesus say? You're either for me or you're against me. Whoa. We think it's not going to affect us. And the next thing we know, we're knee deep in it, compromising, justifying, defending the world while we're offending God. We have fallen into it. Because we don't entertain things we really abhor. Come on. I mean, it's really hard for us to invite people to our house that we hate. But then something happens that tend to make us feel better about what happened. We think and we think and we feel and we feel. And then we wonder, is this really a bad thing? I mean, I know that this is the wrong thing to do. I know this is the wrong path, but it feels right. And you know what? Really, in the end, it's not hurting anybody. I don't really feel all that bad about it. And so not only do we tolerate the sins of the world, we start to agree with it. And now we start to really live it. And we start saying things like, well, you know what, Shane? I'm really not that religious of a person. Have you guys ever had that? That's like a really interesting thing that some people will say to me sometimes. It's like, you know, yeah, I go to church on Sunday, but I'm not, a, I'm not really a religious person. Now, my question is, what does that mean? <laughs> well, what it means is you say, I'm not that religious of a person. That means that there are certain things that you will follow and certain things you won't. There's no neutrality. No one can serve two masters. But you know what? Here's the clue to help us today. We got a clue that will help us today. The scriptures are to be our guide. We don't trust our emotions. We don't trust our imaginations. We do not trust our feelings. And we definitely don't trust the mantra, if it feels good, do it. (laughs) Shane, I live by this one. This is my motto. If it feels good, do it. We still have a sin nature. We still need sanctification. We still need transformation. This is why I always tell us, and you've heard me preach this before, this is why I always tell us, in opposition to the ways and the mantras of this world, I always say this, do not follow your heart. Ooh, some of you might have even felt that burn in the stomach a little bit. Wait a minute. 
No, we're supposed to follow our heart. That's what the world tells us, right? You see it in the movies. I don't know what to do. I don't know what decision you make. And the, the person with all the wisdom goes, well, just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. What does your heart tell you? Well, Shane, why do we not do this? Because the scriptures actually gives us a clue when it comes to the heart of individuals. What does the Bible say about our heart? Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Who knows? Why do we not follow our heart? Because the Bible tells us that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. So was God just kidding? Is that, the, is that how we are looking at this? Ah, God just, he's just overreacting. God's just not being politically correct here. We don't follow our heart, we follow the word of God. Genesis chapter six, verse five. Genesis chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Oh my Lord. We do not follow our hearts. What do we follow? The word of God. That's what we say when young people are like, well, hey, Shane, you know, I just am having a really, really hard decision that I got to make. Our response isn't, what does your heart tell you? We say what? What does the word of God tell you? We don't follow the ways of the world. We must follow the light of scripture. We don't follow our hearts. We follow the word. Spurgeon writes, God's word pronounces judgments regarding moral actions, and we will do well to maintain those judgments as our infallible rule of thought and life. I've even heard people say, well, you know what, Shane? When I'm in doubt, I follow the word. No, I say it this way. Before you think, before you walk, before you do, we follow the word. There is no doubt because the word of God is always right. It is the scriptures that teach us. It's the scriptures that guide us. It's the lamp. It's the fire. It is the thing that illuminates the truth of the heart of God. Every aspect of our life should be built on the words, what does the Bible say about it? You realize, you know, with me and, with me and Janine uh, in our marriage, the scriptures are the argument stoppers. Do you know that? Like me and her will be having an argument you know, where I'm saying, well, I don't know, like what's in the, I can't think of a good example, so just bear with me. God does not love the world. And Jeanine goes, God loves the world. No, he doesn't. And I'm the man. <laughs> I knew some of you guys would feel that. But then ladies, you know that doesn't work. No! The Bible says God so loved the world. And in our house, that's it. I'm like, ah! All right, 
Do I still need to sleep on the couch tonight? You know, it's the argument stopper. That's what it is. If God says it, it's true. And it's just there. That's just how it is. It's our guide to right behavior. It shows us what it is that we really do and what we are not to do. It declares the truth. We follow its precepts, not the precepts of the world. If it's against what the world declares, then we must be against it and not be ashamed of it. All of this is wonderfully illustrated in John Bunyan's wonderful work called The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm say it again, I will say it again, and I will say it again. If you have not read The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, you need to read it. It, is, it, all, it shows us so clearly how the world tries to get us to get off the path of the straight and narrow. It's all these distractions. We're on the path. We're headed in this direction. And all the things and all the distractions in life and in the world is all there trying to get us to get off the path. All the worlds, all the worldly wise men, all the obstinance, all the formalists, all the hypocrisy, all the buy-ins, all the giant despairs, all the vanity fairs in this world. All of these things are trying to pull us off the road, all of the difficulty and suffering when we think we know better than the scriptures. What happens is we get off track and we wander from the path. But you know what? This is no longer our way. Are we Christians today? If we're Christians today, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he's talking about the way we walked, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. You used to walk like this, If you are a Christian today, you don't walk like this anymore. This is not who we are. These are not the paths that we take. And when we receive understanding from the word of God, it's like our psalmist says, we hate the false ways. So the very end of this whole passage, this letter here, he says that the word of God has shown him, the word of God has taught him, no wonder I hate the false ways. No wonder I hate the ways that are false. No wonder I hate these things. But here's the thing, if we're biblically illiterate and we don't know the Bible, how in the world are we going to identify the false way? All you're doing is you're looking at all the paths that are before you and go, that looks good. Oh, that looks all right. Yeah, that looks good. That looks all right. That looks good. That looks all right. There looks good. And then let's just say somebody gives you the clue like, yeah, you got 20 paths in front of you. Only one of them is correct. I wonder which path I should take. (laughs) The word of God is not an enigma. The word of God is not like the, you know, you guys remember like the old kung fu movies where the master would be sitting with his legs crossed kind of floating in the air. And he's like, you know, he's got to be like 120 years old. He's all frail, but, you know, he can fight you with his finger, you know. Anyway. And the young student goes up and he says, you know, the key to success is knowing that the light is dark when the dark is light. And the rest of the movie is the student trying to figure out what that means. And then it always comes to the very end where it doesn't mean anything. 
He just wanted to get me moving, right? The Bible's not like that. It's not an enigma. It's not there. It's flat out telling you what's right, and it's flat out telling you what's wrong. <laughs> so this is the thing. You don't have to guess of these 20 paths. We don't have to guess which one is the right one. The Bible tells us which one is the right one. It's like I say all the time, well, Shane, you know, I'm just trying to find God's will in this situation. You already know God's will for this situation. It's not an enigma. It's not a secret. It's not any of this stuff. It is right there, right before your eyes. You know what the will of God is. But if we're biblically illiterate, how are we able to identify what is false? How are we going to do this? A prominent theologian once told me, Shane, there are more false teaching and heresy in the world today than there ever has been in all of history. He said him and his team, they did a study and they studied all the false teaching and all the heresies. He says there are exponentially more heresies and false teaching in this world today than there ever has been in all of church history. So it's everywhere. And after he told me that, I was just, I'm looking around, I'm going, yeah, it is everywhere. It's everywhere. It doesn't take long to find it. It doesn't take long to see it. You don't have to think that hard to see how clear this is. So here's the clue. All right, get ready. Put your seatbelt on. Here's the clue. If you don't think that there's a lot of heresy, and if you don't think there's a lot of false teaching out there, it might be because you're deceived by them. Well, Shane, I'm looking out there and I can't see any. Yeah. It might be because we're deceived by them. And if you don't know your Bible, how are you supposed to see them? How are you supposed to get it? How are you supposed to recognize this stuff? Maybe you don't think that there is because you can't identify them. When Christ is handing out condemnations and commendations in the churches in Asia Minor, in the book of in Revelation, if you go to the book of Revelation, the first chapters, he's, he's giving condemnations and he's giving out commendations to all of these churches. You realize that those churches that were able to identify the false teaching of the time were the churches that Christ commended. Do you know that? All the churches that recognized it and defended against the false teaching, Christ commended these churches. Good job, you guys. Really good. That's awesome that you did that. Do you know the churches he condemned were the churches that couldn't do that? They were the ones that were condemned. He gave us the word of God. And now we are more than able to identify false teaching and heresy. Now we can do it, but, but how can we do it if we don't know it? All that we need for life and godliness, we've got when you're holding the Bible in your hand. He gave us his word. Now family, after years of ministry, having to clean up and watch the life of people, the lives of people in the churches get destroyed because of all this false teaching, 
the more I see how the truth is right before our eyes, the more I learn and the more that I have grown. It's like the psalmist says, family, I tell you what, I hate all these false things. I've grown to hate these false things. And in the end, all it does is make the false teacher rich and destroy the lives of those that are following their way. This is a clear mark of those who are immature in Christ. Not being able to identify the false ways shows a lack of the ability to discern and the ability to fail and to truly glorify the living Christ. Spurgeon writes, this final verse of the stanza marks great progress in character and shows that the man of God is growing stronger, bolder, and happier than before. So this man who, who has grown to hate the false ways. Spurgeon said he's just showing that it's, he's growing, he's stronger, he's bolder, he's happier than he was before. He has been taught of the Lord, so he discerns between the precious and the vile. And while he loves the truth fervently, he hates falsehood intensely. And he says, may all of us reach this status of discrimination and determination so we can greatly glorify God. Because in the end, this is the worst thing about the false ways and the false leadings and the false ideas and false ideologies and the false lives. It doesn't glorify God. And if we are living a life that's not glorifying God, then that should be a clue that there's something wrong. Something wrong. The gospel, that's what we learn from the scriptures. The scriptures give us this wonderful thing called the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because the reason why we struggle with this is we, by nature, we love the darkness instead of the light because our deeds are evil. It is the flesh. It is the sin nature in us that leads us to run to these false paths that we are tempted to run into. It's sin, that thing that so easily besets us. It's the evil desire in us that causes us to reject or even confuse the teaching of the word of God. But the scriptures teach us just how deep the infection of sin goes. It teaches us, the Bible teaches us how awful this thing called sin can be. It teaches us that we can't imagine just how corrupt we really are. We're so corrupt that when we try to do good, evil is right there with us. And this is the reality for everyone today. Why? Because the Bible teaches us something very, very important. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See, we can't get around that, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I got family members that do this all the time. You know, some of you guys may know what I'm talking about with the family members. I got family members that do this all the time. I start talking about sin, and I start talking about salvation, need, the gospel, all that stuff. You know, I have this aunt that always goes, well, Shane, you don't need to preach to me about this stuff. You know, I, I, I'm fine. 
Now your cousin, you need to talk to him. You know, and he'll, he'll be out of prison, uh, I think, next week. You need to set up a meeting with him and talk to him. He, he needs to hear the gospel. My darling, my beloved aunt. We, we say auntie in Hawaii. My beloved auntie. Listen to what I say. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, but, oh, but Shane, I get it. But you know what? I, I don't do the big sins. You know, I may make mistakes. I may do the little things. But what else does the Bible say? If you have broken even the smallest of commandments, you are as guilty as somebody who's broken all of it. My darling aunt, you, I know you're such a good person. You do so many good things. You're wonderful. But did you know that you, if you have broken even the smallest of the commandments of God, <laughs> you're as guilty as my cousin? Well, okay, well, Shane, let's, let's, let's talk about it. <laughs> All have sinned and fallen short of glory of God. The Bible says there is no one righteous, no, not one. The Bible says there is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. We are all by nature children of wrath, and the punishment is destruction, hell, death, eternal darkness, eternal fire. Oh, but Shane, I see it. I recognize it. Can we be saved from this? Oh, you bet you can. There is salvation. Salvation is here. And it is here and it's found in Christ and in Christ alone, but it's found in Christ and it's here. It's by grace that we have been saved through faith. And this is not of work so that no man can boast. The reality is, is that Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and he was raised on the third day all according to the scriptures. Jesus came into this world to seek and save that which was lost. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus' family. By his stripes, we are healed. And there's forgiveness for us today. There's life for us today. Sure, sure. Some of you are saying, hey, Shane, you have no idea how bad I am. You have no idea the bad things that I have done. My response is, you have no idea the power of the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ is powerful enough and it's big enough to cover every sin. There is no sin that you can commit here on earth that the blood of Christ can't cover. The blood of Christ covers it all. So much so that when you appear before the holy, righteous, living God, he will point to you and say, justified, holy, my son, my daughter, my king and queen of the kingdom of heaven. That's the power of the blood of Christ. And the promises continue, family. The Bible says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Salvation is here. There is life and life more abundant. 
and it's found in Christ. We find all of this. It's not just something I dreamt up. It's all in the scriptures. The psalmist said that it is so sweet. It's so much sweeter than honey. It is the thing that he loves. And it's the thing that will keep him walking in the right way. And it'll keep him doing the right things. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.